I'm wrestling with this gibberish until it started to make sense. Howdy, folks. Thank you for tuning in to the Virtue Signal. I'm Alfonso Rachel with my friend Bill Whittle. And, uh, you know, we do these, uh, Virtue Signal shows because of the Virtue Signal that's going out there. And rather than being just subject to people's, you know, a lot of the culture's twisted idea of virtues, we gotta be like, hey, no, no, no. Uh, uh, we gotta have a clear understanding of what virtue is. And, um, cause if not, man, we'll end up being ruled by, not just ruled in the culture by their narratives and stuff like that about what we have to abide by, but they make laws concerning these things. So, uh, for myself, in bringing a, a clear understanding of what virtue is to be able to resist, you know, these, um, stuff that they're, they're putting on, you know, that they're laying on us, I go to the Word of God. I go to the Bible. And as Bill has said earlier, this is not a, a Bible study. But it is an examination of virtues. And uh, in this series that I'm doing uh, so far, is it's taking a look at this book. And why should we believe this book that is seemingly unbelievable? Uh, and if it's unbelievable, why should I base my virtues on it? Uh, and there's questions that people may ask about it. And what among those questions, and I, when I ask these, uh, when I present these, y'all, it's it's from a sympathetic point of view because I struggle with the same things. Uh, Christianity is something that I rejected and, um, you know, and was agnostic, borderline atheist. Um, and one of those things that really set me back is why should I believe this book that seems to be telling me to speak in tongues? Why should I believe you if I can't understand what you're saying? If you're going to be saying, it's like, I can't understand you. Thus, I don't think I should believe you. Um, now, Bill, is that like, um, is that a fair, for lack of a better word, prejudice? Uh, are there, are those reservations that you find, may have found yourself struggling with or, or can understand why other people would struggle with them? Uh, you know, in terms of, you know, examining this, uh, for lack of a better way of putting up, taking this book more seriously. Yeah, well, most people know by now that I'm a, a scientific atheist uh, apostate. Uh, and as I got older and older and life had more and more time to beat the stupid out of me, I began to realize that simply excluding uh, things like the Bible or what, or simply excluding anything really was a sign of arrogance, not a sign of intelligence and so on. And, and, and especially in the last two years with all the things we've seen in the last two years, I find more and more on a daily basis I'm actually becoming a little bit wise so to answer your question, I would have said, even a relatively short time ago, yeah, you're on the ground writhing, holding snakes, speaking in tongues, and, and, and yeah, I think you're nuts. But I also think Berkeley professors are nuts. <laughs> and, and so as I've gotten older, and hopefully a little bit wiser, what I've come to realize is the path is not important. The direction is important. And... and when we talk about virtues, I think we're talking about a direction. And let's just say West for the sake of the argument. Um, if people are heading West, they're heading towards virtue. If they're heading East, they're heading towards uh, vice. And it doesn't really matter which individual path they take as long as they're heading in, in the direction of virtue. Now, a, a lot of a lot of religions basically completely deny this idea. 
And, I, and I'm not trying to suggest for a minute that I'm being like morally equivalent. You know, I think there's an enormous moral difference between various religions and no religions and so on. But, but to specifically deal with your issue about speaking in tongues, it seems to me that if that, if that is the experience that the person has to get closer to Christ or God, then who am I to say no? Um, I don't, I've, I've, it's a funny thing. My wife has, has reflexively cured me of a lot of my judgmentalism. So I'm more selective about what I'm judgmental about, <laughs> but the things that I'm still judgmental about, I'm even more judgmental about. Uh, I, I, I believe every day more and more in, in absolute good and absolute evil. I don't believe that people are absolutely good or absolutely evil. I think some people have made pretty good attempts to be absolutely evil and, and several people to be absolutely good, but it's an unattainable goal for us human beings. But since I think these two poles exist, and, and since it seems like there's essentially a bell curve of, of human reactions to this idea of good and evil, I've, I've come to realize that uh, the only thing that we can do is not is not cut off half of the bell curve. If you cut off half of the bell curve, you get a new a new bell curve. Uh, speaking broadly, in terms of virtue, I think the only thing we can do is push is push the curve towards the west. Right? You will always have people who are the least um, understandable, the least. Um, the least kind, the least human in the case of some of these tech giants who are, who, who have no, and not just tech giants, by the way, either. It seems to be a quality that many high, high level leaders have. The reason you get to be a dictator of a country is because you don't have any connection to human emotions. If you did, you wouldn't be doing this. So I think all you can really hope to do is just, just kind of push that curve towards virtue. And if that's the only attainable goal, and I'm convinced it is, uh, then anything that gets people in that direction is is just fine with me. I, I try to reserve the fight for people that are trying to pull the curve in the other direction. And I don't think that somebody on the ground who's speaking in tongues, or sitting fully <laughs> upright for that matter, uh, I, I don't see those people as, as a force of evil under any circumstances. It's not my cup of tea. But, um, but then again, the whole idea of, of virtue and freedom is, it doesn't have to be my cup of tea. My cup of tea is my cup of tea. Your cup of tea is your cup of tea. I hear you, man. And now the thing about um, speaking in tongues, I, I didn't think it would be fair for me to just kind of like hang on to uh, a preconceived notion about it. I have, I would have to admit that some of my ideas about it were shaped by the culture. Uh, and I'm like, well, I don't want the culture to dictate to what I'm supposed to think about it either. Uh, let me just go ahead and look at what it says. And I came to find that speaking in tongues isn't, um, you know, what it's made out to be. It's not what people practice. It's not um, what I've seen people do in church, in the church house is not what speaking in tongues is. Uh, it's a it's a gross misunderstanding of it, as well as the seculars having a, a, a misunderstanding about it. The thing, and, and I don't expect people to necessarily believe what it is, but at least if there's going to be the, the scrutiny of it or the stigma of it, let's actually be clear, be clear on what it actually is. Speaking in tongues is not speaking in gibberish and assuming to be speaking some spirit language. It's not, it's not something that the Bible says to do, actually. Uh, I mean, even pagans speak in tongues. If they want to go into a trance or something like that, they can go ahead and do that. Um, but, 
speaking in tongues in terms of what the Bible says, it tells you clearly speaking in tongues is not speaking gibberish. In order to speak in tongues, you actually have to speak in a legitimate national language. Uh, if you look at it and mm. what it says, uh, according to the statutes of it, let's say for instance, right here, let me just read this really quick. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem, God fearing Jews, from every nation under heaven. And when this sound rang out, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard him speaking his own language. Astounded and amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of them hears his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, on and on, right? So all these languages are being spoken. They didn't hear them speaking gibberish. They heard them speaking legitimate languages. Now, why? Why is that? Once again, it's hard enough to believe in the miracle. How do you explain? You don't explain a miracle in the natural. But the point of it was this. They pro when they speak a national language, it means that there's no excuse for you to not understand them, right? I'm speaking your language. The mm -hmm. miracle is that I'm speaking to you in a language that I've yeah. never spoken to you before. The other part of it's it, for everybody. To, it's for everybody. The other part of it is that it has to be according to what the word says. Prop when, when prophesying in tongues, it doesn't make you some sort of clairvoyant that's going to make, make you give you the ability to tell the future. You have to be able to say and reveal what the Bible is talking about, the mysteries of what the seeming, the seemingly mysteries of what the Bible is talking about. So, and there, and the other thing is that there has to be somebody there to interpret. That's the other rule. Somebody can't just start going, blah, 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 and I'm speaking in the spirit language. You have to have somebody to check them and say, like, okay, actually, yeah, this person is speaking a legitimately different language. I know because I speak that language too. A translator, a translator. has to be somebody there. And not only that, they have to be able to say that, yeah, this dude is actually preaching right from what the Bible has said and is disclosing how these things connect each other. You're not just, they're not making up. So this isn't the psychic hotline. They're not trying to be a clairvoyant or something like that. They're speaking what the Bible actually says. So that's the actual speaking in tongues. And it's, it's kind of sad that people have isolated a verse and have built a sect or religion or religious practice out of it when that's not what it means. Again, I understand that some people would still have a hard time believing that, but disbelieve the right thing. <laughs> it's not about people like just kind of speaking gibberish. That's not what speaking in tongues is. You actually have to be speaking a national language. Well, clearly the people that might be doing the things that you find uh, to be a misinterpretation of the Bible don't see it as a misinterpretation themselves or else they wouldn't be doing it. Um, and mm. so, again, I don't want to be the kind of guy who sounds like there aren't any standards or anything like that. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that that one of the things about uh, Christianity that's so appealing is is the volitional aspect of it, the, the individual freedom mm. aspect of it, uh, especially in Protestantism. Um, it, to me, to me, if somebody is having that experience, it's because that's kind of what's working for them. Now, as far as the whole thing you mentioned about speaking in tongues and not just being you know, gibberish and stuff, that's really interesting to me because, frankly, if I got my Bible history right, we all spoke the same language until we didn't, hmm. right? We all spoke the same language until we tried to uh, 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 outdo God in his glory and build a tower that goes all the way to heaven, and, uh, at which time uh, God divides 
humanity up into individuals who are all speaking different languages who cannot communicate with each other anymore. That's kind of the punishment, right? And it's kind of the punishment for turning away from God in, in, the, in the interpretation of the Tower of Babel. This is, this is what you get for trying to be gods yourself, you know? You're all building a, a, a tower, you're communicating with each other, but you're doing it to basically try to match my glory. So therefore, since you can't do things the right way, I'm going to make sure that you don't have this ability anymore. I'm going to split you all up so you're all speaking different languages. But, it, but if you think about it, what that's basically saying is, is that the is that the imposition of different languages is essentially a punishment. And I've never thought about this much before, but you could make the case, I suppose, that the ability to speak in tongues is a removal of that punishment. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a um, it's a transcendental moment of understanding beyond this kind of intellectual cultural thing that's been imposed on us. It, it is, at least in my experience, limited experience with it from the outside, there is an ecstatic quality to it. It's not like you just reading the Sunday morning paper and start speaking in tongues, right? <laughs> I mean, generally speaking, uh, when people do this, they, they're, they're all religioned up. And, and so regardless of, of whatever kind of real-world scientific explanation you want to apply to it. We did a show last time, which I think is really important, two domains, right? You can't really apply what happens in one domain to the other, so they reflect each other. So if this person is having a, an ecstatic, transcendental communion with God and they start speaking in tongues, then at least that's telling me that they are making a connection, and then it, to me, it's not really up to me to judge this. Uh, now, again, I, I, I am so firmly against uh, situational ethics and moral relativism that I need to continually clarify myself on this. Uh, that doesn't mean that it's okay to, to, be, uh, to be evil. It doesn't, it, it's not an excuse. To me, I've just become a lot more humble about, about things in general, though, as I've gotten older. And... Um, and I and I've kind of realized in a, in a God Almighty, I'm really I'm starting to sound like I need to move to San Francisco and wear sandals, <laughs> wash it with patchouli oil. But there's a kind of beauty to the fact that that individuals choose their path, uh, not only choose their path in terms of how they get to that direction. Some people choose other directions. I think I think the the opposite direction causes harm. I think it causes human unhappiness. I'm all about human happiness. That's my, that's my fundamental goal. And so I don't feel like I can, I feel like if I can say to somebody, this isn't doctrinal or this isn't this, or this isn't the proper way to do it, then that, that's essentially saying that they can do the same to me. And, and I don't really see it as, as any of my business. Um, now, certainly Look, the reason we do this show, the reason we do these particular segments about the Bible is, again, it's not a Bible study course. It's a question of how does this morality, this functional, foundational morality of America affect our daily lives in a political sense? That's, that's why we do it. Uh, on some level, I think this is a very good example of, of the kind of thing that, that really makes um, a free republic work, and that is... I'll mind my own business, you mind your own business. I'm not going to condemn you or, or persecute you for speaking in tongues so long as you don't try to force me to speak in tongues, in which case we have a problem. Mm -hmm. And 
underneath all of this, it comes back to me to the Tower of, of, of Babel, it comes back to this idea that underneath all of these different languages and cultures and, and, and rituals and rites and so on, the question is, underneath that, are you a good person? Do you, do you have, do, do you have, uh, func do you have a functional humanity, a soul in you, some, some kind of sense of right and wrong? And if you do, and if you're heading towards good, then I'm, uh, I'm not going to get in your way. And I'd appreciate it if you didn't get in my way. I dig it, man. And, and as I was saying before, the language of, of speaking in tongues, it has to be a legitimate language. For a lot of people, and, and the language, of course, the language that is being spoken of is the language of truth. Truth is actually, as we can see, truth is very foreign to a lot of people. All right. It's, it's a language that they don't understand. <laughs> Tr uh, truth is yeah. being distorted and covered up. And we have a culture that is just inundated with fake news. But it's a language that a lot of people understand, as we can see. So a lot of people lies is something and sensationalism and, and fiction and, and whatnot is something that is easy for people to relate to and they gravitate to it and our country is mm -hmm. being consumed by it. However, truth is something that is a harder sell. It seems to be a dialect that's just we just can't we just can't pick up on it. Right. And all that to say, like I said earlier, it has to be a legitimate language. This truth is being spoken. You're speaking it in clear language, whoever this person is. If you're if you're a, per, a foreigner, I'm going to speak to you in your language. I've never spoken this language before, but I'm going to speak to you in this language. So one, you have no excuse to not understand me. And two, you have no excuse to not believe there is a God because I can't speak this language on my own. It's, it's a miraculous, miraculous. Gift, So you're yeah. given all the elements you need to believe. Even right now, Bill, when I say that we're speaking the language of truth, man, I'm speaking in tongues right now, right? But I bet you there's a lot of people who have no idea what I'm talking about. Like I said, I basically sound yeah. like Charlie Brown's teacher right now. Wah, 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 wah. This sucks. I'm going to unsubscribe and all that sort of stuff. I, I can't believe that you believe it. I don't understand what you're saying. This has been going on, right? That's what, speak, that's what yep. speaking in tongues yeah. is. It's speaking truth, but people will reject it. Yes. And, um, and obviously there's a, a dark side to all of this. Um, in, in many ways, uh, the, the biggest enemy of conservative principles is the Republican party. Mm. Uh, not the democratic party. We know what they're about and we mm. know we're opposed to them in many ways. The, the biggest obstacle to, to genuine conservatism is the Republican party and what Republicans do or don't do that, enormously weakens the philosophy underneath it. And you can certainly make that case uh, for Christianity as well, that, that, that oftentimes the worst enemy of Christians are people who profess to be Christians. Mm. Um, the speaking in tongues phenomenon, if you ask somebody who's, who's completely agnostic or atheist, their, their most likely response is, is that they once saw you know, a televangelist smack somebody on the forehead and have them go down to the ground and, and, and start, um, you know, muttering something. And, and that was, that was presented as evidence for, uh, like divine intervention. Mm. In many of those cases, I believe 
that the people who, who went up on stage were in fact honest people who did in fact have such belief in this that they, they had a, a, a relatively genuine reaction. But there's no question at all, none, that, that a, a significant amount of this is completely staged and completely artificial. The problem with that is, mm-hmm. is that, well, the reason they do it is because what, what these televangelists want and I put them in a different category than people who are, who are speaking in tongues in a small church in the Appalachians, let's say, because they got nothing to gain by this. What a televangelist wants is he wants something that is visually dramatic. He needs a visual confirmation of conversion, right? He needs a visual confirmation, something that people can see on the screen that something miraculous has happened. And so they look for things mm-hmm. like this. They look for these, these dramatic moments. And... Whether they're real or not, and, and without question, there's no question whatsoever that many of them are not real. That piece of kabuki really <laughs> damages Christianity badly. Yes. In terms of the advertising, right? Not, not so much internally among other Christians, although I know many Christians have a real distaste for that. They understand the damage that it's being done. But because it's televised and because church, generally speaking, isn't, and we don't see televangelists anything like what we saw them 20, 30 years ago. They're everywhere then. That experience of watching televangelists has turned off so many people because they think that's what Christianity is all about, is this, is this uh, sort of rapture, this kind of, this kind of lightning bolt of, of ecstasy, this instantaneous connection, you know, to, to divine power. And, and, and frankly, most people can look at this, say this is, they they look at it the same way that, that I look at pro wrestling. No offense to those (laughs) pro wrestler fans out there, but, but that's, that's what it looks like. And, and it does a lot of damage because to the degree that that kind of thing is authentic among the, the recipient it is essentially a little bit narcissistic, mm. right? Uh, you know, look at me. I'm look. I am so. I'm so Christian. I've been hit by the thunderbolt and stuff. But essentially, it's it's just a a, a very cynical um, way to make more money, and and I really think that uh, Christianity would be a lot more pervasive in culture today if it hadn't been for those uh, decades of watching people who who. Watching people do that, and and on top of it, as if as if for confirmation, you later discover that they're sleeping with mm. the church secretary, or that they've made millions of dollars and they've stashed that away, or they've committed this fraud, or so on. So even the off-camera results of 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 these on-camera evangelists reinforce people's position that the whole thing's just kind of a sham. It's just a show for stupid people, <laughs> or the gullible is a better word. And um, and by the way, gullibility and stupidity are definitely not married to each other. I, some of the the, the the really smartest people in the world are, are seem to be the most uh, gullible. Um, so anyway, that's the way I look at it. And and to me, if it's an authentic experience, and even if it's not, it's none of my business. But I do think that it, that I do think that displays that are non-authentic are. That, I think that's something that that people can tell. I think, I think that's something that the average guy on the street can tell whether somebody's having an authentic religious experience or whether somebody's putting on a show for whatever reason. Agreed, man. And you know, the thing is, that's, that's something, we, if we know that we're imperfect and we're, you know, we're, we're fallible human beings, uh, I have to take that into account. And would it be fair 
and I'm thinking this, you know, even as, you know, as an agnostic, when, when I was an agnostic at the time, is it fair to hold Jesus responsible for what people don't understand? And shouldn't I just examine it for myself? Uh, if this is supposed to be a good person, Jesus is supposed to be good, uh, then he's got no business lying about who he is, and he's got no business misleading people. So let me not judge him and judge, you know, uh, what he has established. Let me just go ahead and take a look at it for myself. And um, so the, he even warns about people who are going to do these things. I'm like, wow, you know, it's like I, I thought this book, this book was supposed to be an instruction on how to do these things. And actually, it's instructive against these things. Um, and like I was saying earlier about the thing about, you know, speaking in tongues, even examining the truth as the truth is coming to me, it was gibberish. And, and, and of course, I'm, to a degree, I'm speaking figuratively, but looking at, yeah, looking no, at it, and, it, but when I start to look, right. I couldn't understand it. Yeah. They were talking you to know, me and I couldn't understand but, it. And, 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 and really wanting a more tangible and dare I say scientific, according to man's idea of, of what scientific is, I needed that. And then I got my answer, you know, I didn't, it's like in terms of the age of the earth, uh, in terms of the age of man and all these things, kept reading and I was like, okay, now I have to be fair. Let me, let me really be subjective about this. Um, were these people, if we're talking about where we came from, and this is where the gibberish started to become a clear language to me. Like at first it's gibberish, then it starts to make sense. Mm -hmm. Now, if we're talking about where we came from, nobody here and nobody that we've ever read about was there to make this observation about where we came from, what we evolved to or anything like that. Who was there to be able to say, this is the point right here. At this point, the organism that pre-existed humankind is now humankind. Well, they weren't there. They can bring in a lot of elements to substantiate their theory. And that's at the end of the day, that's what it is, it's a theory. But they weren't there to, to be able to, to make a record and testify of it. However, this guy, Jesus, was, as he says, before Abraham was, I am. So I'm like, now, who do I trust my soul? If, I, if I'm gonna go as far as believing that I have a soul, why would I entrust my soul to the words of a fallible human being who is going to make discoveries that they're probably gonna change in about 10 years? Why would I entrust my immortal soul yep. to them and not to this person, J Jesus, where there's just as much evidence that he was here than there is for the existence of Darwin or the existence of Aristotle or the existence of Plato, anybody who wrote the origins of species. Jesus was there mm -hmm. and he proved it. Now, the thing is, is that Jesus authored the law of entropy and the law of entropy doesn't affect him. He doesn't decay. So not only does Jesus not decay, as the word says, his holy one will not see decay. Jesus did not decay in body, he did not decay in mind. He didn't deny, he didn't decay in any of his moral statutes. Nothing about Jesus decayed. Ours, our ideas, our so-called virtues, anything, anything that we have is all subject to decay. Why would I invest my belief and stake my beliefs on things that decay and ideas that people have and even our mortality itself that decays and not entrust that virtue with the one who doesn't and the one who was there. He's like, man, I was, I, I was there. 
and I've got the witnesses to tell you that I died and I came back. And what other proof can I give you? It's been written in the skies of who I am. And if, you know, and, and just as you, you brought up the Tower of Battle, and these are things that I wrestled with, Bill. It's like I'm wrestling with this gibberish until it started to make sense. But just like you mentioned at the Tower of Babylon, the Lord has written it in the heavens like, man, ain't nobody else can do that. This is the, the design that we have, a billion, a billion, billion to one ratio that this accident, I mean, you gotta have the right kind of sun. It's gotta have the right kind of spectrum, the right kind of radiation. If it's, man, that's, mm -hmm. that's a billion to one shot that, for that to be done. So I'm looking at the skies that proclaim his ha handiwork. And, it, and, and you even still have people that said, you know what? Yeah, I don't believe it. I'm gonna build a tower. <laughs> I'm gonna build a tower and we're gonna go up there and show that we can either do better or that he's not the summit of all understanding. So it's either as grandiose as that or it's as simple as a book. Either way, he has testified to make this digestible. And so for me, that's where the gibberish clears up, you know? And mm -hmm. it's not a point, as, as, as uh, I think one of the kings in the Bible says, and I'm saying this to my audience, uh, are you assuming to try to make me a believer? No, no, it's, it's not my objective per se to make you a believer. I have, a, according to my high priest and king, I have a commission to say, hey man, this is what the truth is. Believe it or not, but let's set the record straight about what it is and let's be clear about what you're disbelieving. I can understand it's still difficult to believe. I can understand that, but at least not believe it based on the right things and what the word actually says. And uh, so for me, that's like I said, that's where the gibberish clears up. Mm -hmm. Well, what, the reason we, we're doing this uh, series that you, you brought is because by unpacking these uh, stories, it, it gives you a way to see how this code was the code that the people that designed this country had. This was their moral code and this was their moral guide. And there's no real question about that. They also understood uh, having not to recently come away from religious persecution in terms of, you know, uh, from England generation ago, in some cases less than that, a couple generations, whatever. They also understood that they didn't have the arrogance to say that this is how things will be done, either religiously or in any other matter, really. They created a government that does everything, at least constitutionally, is designed to get the job done with the minimum amount of interference and leave you alone to find your own path so long as you're heading in the right direction. And that's why we unpack these stories. Uh, that doesn't mean, uh, some people say, well, you're just taking it figuratively when it literally happened. That, that may, may in fact be the case, but that's not why we do this particular show. We do this show to show you that, that the elements of virtue are built into the walls and you don't necessarily see them and you don't necessarily see where they come from, but they did come from somewhere. And by discussing these kind of issues in a modern context, I think it gives us a much better appreciation of, of, the, of the, the virtue behind the rules. And, and certainly that's been a real education for me and, and a pleasure as well. So I'm looking forward to doing it next week as well. Thank you. Thank you. And yeah, just just uh, just to you know, compliment what it is that you're saying. That's what it comes down to. These virtues, they don't come from they have to come from somewhere. If they come from us, then we can bend them and shape them at will. And and which means that we can start to bend. if you get enough power, you can just go ahead and bend people and shape them as you will. So 
you know, just like the founding yeah. fathers, like, look, man, these rights that we have, they're, they're, they're God given, you know, they're God created and you just can't take them away at will. The same with our rights, the same things as our virtue, they are fixed and set. So, you know, that being said, I hope folks can appreciate that. And we thank you so very much for tuning in. And we hope that you keep tuning in, tuning in and that you uh, find these programs worth supporting. All right. Good night from Bill Whittle tonight.